Good morning. Today is Sunday, the sixth day of November, 2016. In times of sickness, we look for a cure. And this quest for a cure can sometimes bring people to hucksters who are more interested in making money than actually helping. It happens today, and it happened in the early 20th century with a lady named Linda Hazard. And today we tell her story on the 111th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I'm your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. Thanks for having a cup of coffee with me today. Do you know what me and the people who were on the Titanic have in common? We were both around when the Chicago Cubs won a World Series championship. Sorry, I had to bring that up. It's only something I've been waiting my whole life for and only happens once every 108 years, so I'm a bit excited. Anyway, today's story is a darker one than the last couple have been. Maybe one of the darkest I've done in a while. If you know the story of Linda Hazard and Starvation Heights, then you know what I mean. But before I get started, I wanted to say that there is a book on the subject. It's called Starvation Heights, the true story of murder and malice in the woods of the Pacific Northwest by Greg Olson. Now, I have not read this book, mainly because it wasn't available from any of the local libraries. All my information comes from the internet, but... Many of these articles use Greg Olson's book as a source, so I have to credit that book indirectly as my main source as well. One more thing. I begin today's story by talking about a similar thing that happened in modern days. Yes, people still put their health to risk by listening to unqualified people, but I hope I don't come across as sounding like I don't think people should be concerned with what they eat. Of course you should think about what you put into your own body. And I don't want people to think that I'm saying that you shouldn't look for other opinions when it comes to your health. Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. I knew a lady who was told by her family doctor that she had been seen for years that she had a condition that would require her foot to be amputated. She was told that there was nothing that could be done to save the foot. In a panic, she went to another doctor for another opinion, and that doctor told her that yes, there was treatments that could save her foot. Twelve years later, she still walks around with her original two feet. The thing is, she went to somebody who was qualified to make that decision. Yes, you should always look for other answers, but just be careful who you trust in giving you those answers. So, in today's story... All right, how about some UFO news? What the heck? The headline for the Tech News website reads, UFO sighting over Hawaii triggers investigation of possible hidden alien base. Yeah, someone says that he took a picture of what appears to be a flying saucer flying over some mountains in Hawaii, 
And that leads him to believe that there's a secret alien base or something back there. Whether there is or isn't is not important. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If there are aliens from a distant galaxy living among us, and to get here they would have to have the technology that's so many thousands or millions of years more advanced than what we have, and that would include weapons and stuff that we couldn't possibly imagine, if they're here and they want to stay hidden, <laughs> let them stay hidden. There's a reason for that. Anyway, today we tell the frightening story of a lady who called herself a doctor without ever going to medical school. And her treatment was far more harmful than the sickness she was attempting to cure. This podcast is part of the PsyCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash PsyCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. Greg Olson is a true crime writer. His new book, Starvation Heights, chronicles the life of the mind-controlling Dr. Hazard and the misery she inflicted on dozens of true believers. You know, many of them were well-to-do, uh, well-known people. One of them being, you know, Ivor Haglund's mother was uh, one of Dr. Hazard's victims. A couple of the victims were reportedly pushed down into the ravine. Even though local residents knew what was going on on Starvation Heights, they never said a word. As a rule, fasting has been known throughout the centuries as a way to purify one's body and therefore purify one's mind. There's no medical benefit to starving. Starvation causes death. Dr. Janice Amatuzio, MD, forensic pathologist. You know, if you look around the internet, you can find what is referred to as alternative medicines that claim that they can cure whatever's wrong with you. People put trust in many of these magical cures without even realizing that those who are considered professionals in the field have no more training than your average fast food cashier. If someone goes to one of these people for help, they would be lucky if this so-called expert had more training than a six-weeks correspondence course. People try these alternatives and many times die because of it you don't believe me, go to the site whatstheharm.net. The site lists story after story of people who could have been cured by medically trained doctors, but instead died under the care of quacks. Now I realize that there are many who will argue with me about this. Many believe in these alternative health practitioners. But if you read some of these heartbreaking stories of adults and children who slowly waste away and die of malnutrition because they listen to some quack who convinced them that some strange diet was what they needed to be healthy, you'll understand what I mean. One story was of a 17-month-old girl whose parents feared modern food additives and took her to a herbologist who put her on a special diet. When the child got sick, the so-called doctor put her on herbal and homeopathic remedies, as well as an energy medicine. The poor little girl died of malnutrition and pneumonia. Her body was in such horrible condition, one that I won't describe here, that when the paramedics found her, they thought they were being tricked by giving a doll to treat. Her parents were charged and found guilty of child neglect. The question is, why would parents or anybody continue a treatment that is so obviously destructive 
to the point of death. And the thing is, this is nothing new. There was something that happened way back in the late 19th and early 20th century that sounds so horrible that... Well, let's go back to 1867 in the Midwest of America, Carver County, Minnesota. That's where a lady named Linda Burfield was born. Very little is known about her life, including her real name. Burfield is probably not her original name, but one she took from a man who married her mother after she was born. By the time she was in her late teens, Linda was married and had two kids, but that marriage didn't last long. So she shipped the kids off to her mother, and with her new freedom, set off to make her dreams come true, her dreams to be a doctor. Edward Hooker Dewey, M.D., was born in 1837 and was a pioneer in a therapeutic fasting cure, something he called the No Breakfast Plan. He had faith in nature and attempted to cure patients by suggesting that they sustain from eating food, having no breakfast. This along with other alternative medicines such as fresh air, pure water, and sunshine. Linda somehow began training under Dr. Dewey. It didn't take long for Linda to start referring to herself as a doctor, even though she never received a degree. She began developing her own fasting treatment, one that would purify the body and soul. She believed that fasting could cure illness and ailments. It's like this. All diseases were due to impure blood, and the only way to solve this problem is to clean out the system. You did this by giving the digestive system time to rest and recover, and the best way to do that was, well, not to eat. While this method was used by real trained doctors, and to some success, Linda took it to the extreme. She would go so far as to pound her fists violently on a patient's body in an attempt to force the toxins out. It was in 1902 that the first human died of Linda's treatment. A coroner attempted to press charges against Linda for malpractice, but apparently, since she was not a real doctor, she couldn't be charged with malpractice. Go figure. And she walked free. Now, apparently, the money and jewelry from the dead patient were missing, and when Linda was asked about the valuable's whereabouts, she just shrugged her shoulder and walked away. This would be a pattern for her for the rest of her life. This would be a pattern for the rest of her life. Samuel Christian Hazard was a good-looking man who had attended the West Point Military Academy, but was discharged for the misuse of army funds. He was the kind of man who was known to like to drink, and drink heavy. When he met Linda Burfield, he was already married to his second wife, the daughter of a wealthy politician, and the two had a daughter of their own. But the fact that he was already legally married didn't stop him from marrying Linda as well. Now, upsetting the daughter of a wealthy politician is never a good idea, and the charges of bigamy were soon brought against him, and he ended up serving time in jail. While in prison, he said that he was done with Linda, and he was going to be devoted to his second wife, and she stood by his side the whole time he was in prison. However, I'm sure his wife was pretty shocked that when in 1906, after he was released from jail, he quickly ran off with Linda. Now Linda was Dr. Linda Hazard. And the two settled in Olala, Washington, which was just across the bay from Seattle. 
Now, apparently in the state of Washington at the time, a degree was not necessary for one to call him or herself a doctor and to practice medicine if it was considered unconventional. So she started a healthcare business with Sam by her side, and she began to write books. The most famous was Fasting for the Cure of Disease, which was published in 1908. The book was successful, and many people believed in her treatment. In her treatment, the patient would go for lengths of time, which was determined by Linda, which could be days, weeks, or even months, on nothing but small amounts of watered-down tomato or asparagus soup. This, according to Linda, would remove evils and toxins from the body, and they would be cured. Linda and Sam dreamed of building their own a magnificent sanitarium, but didn't have the money to do so. So they used various hotel rooms for her patients to stay in, and since their patients were usually very wealthy, this wasn't a problem. She was well respected in Seattle. After all, she had written at least 10 books on the benefits of fasting, and she was following in the footsteps of a real doctor. And she was something new, a female doctor, whom many assumed that made her way ahead of her time. The truth was far darker. She was starving her patients to death, and her and Sam were taking all the money and possessions of these patients once they were gone. It was a horrible scam in which the wealthy would come in for any reason, sometimes things like mild aches and pains, and somehow during the process, as their mind and body became weak, she would talk them into transferring their wealth to her. By the time people were aware that something was wrong, they were just too weak to do anything about it. As I researched Linda, I began to wonder at what point, if any, she turned from wanting to help people to killing them for their money. Or was it always a scam? Or did she always believe that she was doing the right thing and the dead were just unfortunate casualties and the money was just an added bonus? Why she did what she did, we'll never know, but I can assume that she was a deeply disturbed woman who could watch human beings literally starve to death and show no pity or remorse. Yet, I think I can safely say that she did believe in her therapy, and we'll get into my reasons for believing that at the end of today's story. Earl Edward Edmond worked for the city of Seattle as a civil engineer and went to Dr. Hazard in February of 1910. And by April of 1910, he was dead. In his diary, he wrote such entries as February 5th through 7, one orange breakfast, mashed soup dinner, mashed soup supper. February 13th, two orange breakfast, no dinner, no supper. February 16th, one cup hot strained tomato soup a.m. and p.m. Slept better last night. Head quite dizzy. Eyes yellow and streaked in red. February 26. Did not sleep so well Friday night. Pain in right side just below the ribs and back. Pain quit at night. Ate one and a half cups tomato broth at 10.45 a.m. He was in Linda's care for less than two months before he was brought to the hospital where he died. Now, Linda usually did her own autopsies of the dead in her bathtub, and she usually concluded that they died of either cancer, cirrhosis of the liver, or whatever the sickness was that they came to her for. 
But since Earl died in an actual hospital, a real doctor, a trained doctor, performed the autopsy, and he concluded that Earl died of starvation. By this time, there was at least seven deaths that happened under the care of Dr. Hazard, and one of these deaths was said to be of a gunshot wound to the head, though it was never determined if it was murder or suicide. The most famous case, the one that's the subject of Greg Olson's book, Starvation Heights, the story of murder and malice in the woods of the Pacific Northwest, was that of two wealthy British heiresses, Claire and Dorothea Williamson. By now, Linda had her sanitarium, which she called Wilderness Heights, but was referred to by the locals as Starvation Heights. Though some reports say it really wasn't a sanitarium, but just a couple of cabins the Hazards had built on their property. In 1911, the two Williamson sisters were on a trip to Canada and somehow came across Linda's book, Fasting for the Cure of Disease, and began writing letters to Linda and soon arranged a visit. Many assume today that these sisters were hypochondriacs, and besides a few normal aches and pains, they were both relatively healthy. They began treatment in February of 1911 in a hotel near Linda's office. Linda would visit them every day and give them her weak soup and enemas and painful massages, massages that were so painful that other residents of the hotel heard them scream. And as they got concerned about their weakness, Linda would tell them that their strength would return eventually. Whenever they decided that they wanted to discontinue her treatment, Linda would convince them otherwise. The big problem for the girls and for other people under Linda's care is, once you started Hazard's treatment, not only would the body weaken, but the brain would weaken also. It was hard to think straight when you have not eaten a proper diet for weeks. At some point in April, the two were in such bad condition that Linda became concerned that they would die before they signed over their rights to their wealth, so she had them move to Wilderness Heights. Too weak to make the trip themselves, they were transferred by ambulance. By this time, the people who lived in the area had gotten used to seeing skeleton-like figures walk around the property of Wilderness Heights, and that's why they began calling it Starvation Heights. Yet nothing was ever done to investigate what was going on in there. The sisters lived in a cabin while they continued their treatment. The girls must have, at one time or another, began to get concerned because Claire, or some reports say Dora, was able to sneak a telegram out to send to their childhood nanny, Margaret Conway. No one is sure how this was accomplished since Linda controlled all the ingoing and outgoing mail. And to keep the girls from making plans with one another, Linda had them separated into two separate cabins so they could not see each other. Margaret, who had basically raised the girls, lived in Australia, and once she got the telegram, began the long trip to the United States. Unfortunately, by the time she arrived, Claire was already dead. And Dora, she was told, was considered insane. Margaret was taken to the body of Claire, and she did not recognize the girl, who weighed only about 50 pounds at the time of her death. A fight between Margaret and Linda began as Margaret wanted to take Dora home with her, but Linda refused to let her leave, saying that she was the legal guardian of Dora. It was only when their rich uncle arrived that they were allowed to take the girl away, after he paid a large bill to Linda, money that she said she was owed for her treatment. Dora probably weighed about 60 pounds at the time they left. 
It took some time for Dora to regain her health, and she was pissed off. She told her story to a British diplomat, and soon he demanded an investigation and one got underway. Eventually, Linda Hazard was put on trial, but she was able to bring forth patients who had been released from her care who said that they had been cured by her starvation diet. There was also people who had lost loved ones at the hand of Linda who still believed in the treatment. While Linda claimed that she was a fasting specialist, the prosecuting attorney Thomas Stevenson said she was more of a financial starvationist and described her as a a serpent who trod sly and stealthy, yet with all of her craft left a trail of slime. He also proved that Claire's will, as well as the last entry in her diary, had both been forged by Linda Hazard. The diary entry said that Claire wanted Linda to have all her diamonds. Dr. J.T. Baldwin said of Dr. Hazard's treatment that she demonstrated a gross ignorance of the healing art and a gross disregard of the ordinary and usual care and knowledge of the human body. Linda Hazard was found guilty of manslaughter. She said that she was prosecuted because she was a successful woman and the doctors resented her success and opposed her natural cures. Immediately, the appeal process began and she was allowed to go free and resume her practice while this happened, and apparently more people died. But eventually her appeal was denied by the courts. Now here's the shocking part. She received a sentence of 2 to 20 years. And of that, she only served the minimum of two before being pardoned by the governor of the state. And even today, no one knows why he pardoned her. On the bright side, she did lose her license to practice medicine. Of course, she wasn't done. She moved to New Zealand, where her books were a big success, and she started up her own starvation method once again. She was so successful in New Zealand that... She and Sam saved up enough to buy back their property in Wilderness Heights, where she finally built her dream sanitarium. But 1935, the sanitarium burnt down. Now, like I said earlier, I believe that Linda actually believed in her own treatment. And I say that because at the age of 71, she fell ill, and she began her own fasting health diet to cure herself. In 1938, Linda Hazard herself died of starvation. Her devoted husband, Sam, lived on the property in Washington after her death as a recluse for the next eight years, and apparently his only friend was the bottle. He died in 1946. And there seemed to be a pattern throughout her career as a starvation specialist that, uh, you know, people would die and she'd end up with everything. After one victim died, uh, Dr. Hazard pulled the gold teeth out, you know, to sell the teeth. Governor Lister pardoned her after serving just 18 months. But there was a condition, and the condition was that she had to leave the country. So she went off to New Zealand, and uh, supposedly never to come back again, but she, you know, was back uh, probably four years later and when she built her big building out here. Her sanitarium. Her sanitarium. Somehow, she came back. Why was it that those people looked the other way? Upon her return, Dr. Hazard continued to treat and starve more patients to death until her own death in 1938. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. 
You know, one problem I had while researching this story is, well, ghosts and ghost hunting. It appears the area known as Starvation Heights is a, a big um, attraction for people who look for ghosts. And I'm not a believer in ghosts or hauntings. I don't think they are anything real. I think I might be in the minority on that opinion. But anyway... I found a whole four-part series on YouTube that was going to talk about Linda Hazard and Starvation Heights. I thought, well, this is going to be a good one. I'll get a lot of information from this. But no, it was all these ghost hunters and the things they saw and the recordings they had made while they were out there and how spooky it is and all that kind of stuff. And I found another video about a family who lives in the house that Linda used to work in and they claim they see ghosts and stuff and they still have the bathtub she did her autopsies in and really weird stuff but uh now i want to apologize for anybody who downloaded my show early in the week last week um i don't think i found out till tuesday maybe was it maybe it was even wednesday that i had messed up on my recording and the music at the end of my show came in way too early, and uh, thanks to Brecky for pointing that out to me, and uh, I fixed the file. So if so, if you've downloaded it and for some reason haven't listened to it yet, you might want to delete that recording and re-download it with the corrected file. He also pointed out that uh, I messed up at the end and didn't cut out my mistakes, and I, and I knew that was there. I thought, ah. I do that so often where I start the same sentence three or four times and my mouth doesn't want to seem to cooperate with my brain that uh, that I go through and cut all those out. But at the very end of the show last week, I thought, what the hell, I'm going to leave in one of my mistakes. And you can see what kind of pains I go through to record this every week. <laughs> and I've just heard some exciting news. Bad Cat Productions, which makes such podcasts as The History Files and Gordon's Gun Closet, are starting their own YouTube video channel. And um, I'll have a link to that in today's show notes. Uh, right now, there's nothing up yet except for a uh, trailer for their video channel, but I'm sure they'll be uploading videos soon. And I know that you come to uh, Coffee with Jeff every week to learn something that you didn't know previously. And if you want to learn more by a couple people who are truly experts in their field, you should check out both the History Files and Gordon's Gun Closet. Anyway, I think now we're about ready for the highlight of everybody's week, the closing credits. You know, as I told you last week, the Psycon Network really has a lot of plans, but we're sort of short on capital to make these plans happen, so... If you want to help us out, you want to make, help us make our dreams come true, then you should think about becoming a subscriber at our Patreon page. It's simple. You go to Patreon slash Psycon and just offer to make a small monthly contribution to help keep these shows going. You can find out all the information you need at Psycon.fm. That's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm. And a sincere thank you to all of you who already support the show. Speaking of Psycon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other wonderful shows. You'll find an amazing amount of geek culture. And now it even gets more geeky. Monday morning, Brecky's going to unveil the 500th episode of Geek Days. It's the new and improved revamped Geek Days in which 
Not only will the show be a lot more entertaining, I'm sure, but but I also get double the time for my bit on the show. So if hearing me once a week on Coffee with Jeff isn't enough, you can go over and download the daily Geek Days and hear me for a whole minute. Anyway, this show and a lot of other great shows can be found at SciCon.fm. Do you know you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason? You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word, and I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you're invited to join. Your story ideas are always welcome in any of these places. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin to help financially, and believe me, I understand, then just go over to iTunes and leave the show a review. Those reviews really help. And remember, links to all the sources that I use to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. That includes a link to Bad Cat Productions' YouTube channel. Well, I'd like to thank Brecky Thompson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network. To my wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme. And to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And a special shout out to all those that repost the show on Facebook and Twitter. You have a special place in my heart. Until next week, bye. Thank you.